are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there, welcome to this week's podcast. This week is a conversation that I had with a therapist called Danielle Grossman, and Danielle practices in Truckee. And you know what? That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm just going to go straight on to this conversation because we just talk about Danielle being a therapist and Danielle being a therapist who treats eating disorders and what that's like for a therapist. The first question I asked Danielle was to tell us a little bit about herself. So here she is. Sure. So um, I'm excited to be on this podcast. I really enjoy listening to it. I am a marriage and family therapist in Truckee, California. I've been working in the counseling field for about 20 years, and I have been in private practice licensed since 2005. Um, I actually started out in the field not intending to work with eating disorders at all. Um, And what happened was even though I would refer out, you know, somebody contacted me wanting eating disorder treatment, I would refer them out. But what I found pretty quickly was I had a lot of people who were talking a lot about food and were clearly struggling with food, um, even though they hadn't said that as their presenting problem. So once that started happening, um, I started doing some more research into the field. And that's, that's what brought me to our conversation today. Right. And so you started... Um... You, you, that's how you, you, you got into the field of eating disorders. Um, yep. And so, well, when you first started working, I guess, or, or exploring into the field of eating disorders, what did you find and what were your impressions? I was shocked. So um, everything I thought I knew about eating disorders, trying to think if anything was accurate, but pretty much everything I thought I knew about eating disorders was wrong. What did you so, think you know, knew? First of all, what did you think you knew about eating disorders? What were your perceptions at that time? Yeah, so I'd say um, the main theme of everything I had learned was it's not about the food. So it's not about the food. It's not about the food. It's about using food as a way to cope with underlying emotional and psychological issues. Mm-hmm. So that's the pretty that's the pretty typical um, psychotherapy stuff, isn't it? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but then I guess though most people and a lot of therapists that might then start getting interested in eating disorders, they are told that, um, and I think that many accept it. So it sounds <laughs> like you didn't. Well, it wasn't working and it didn't feel right and it wasn't adding up. So, you know, in other areas of my practice, people were making progress. Um, You know, my main focus starting out was relationships. So I do a lot of work with couples therapy, individual therapy focused on relationship work and people were making great progress and not so with the eating disorders. Um, It also... It, it wasn't making sense to me because what I learned was it's about these emotional psychological problems, but I had, you know, most of my clients did not have eating disorders and a lot of them had these same emotional and psychological problems. But so what was, you know, what was actually differentiating them? I, it wasn't, um, it wasn't making sense. It wasn't adding up. Right. Um, so that's, yeah. that's really interesting. You were seeing, 
as you said, emotional and psychological problems, that, that's across your practice as a therapist. Yeah. And what you were seeing, though, was that the tools and the techniques that you were using with people with eating disorders were just not having much effect. Right. And I also, you know, I don't know how much of this is now I see things more clearly in retrospect, but I do think even at the time, I could feel that there was something off because the way that we were talking about food and eating behaviors to me was increasing the amount of shame and self-blame that my clients were experiencing. Um, you know, they'd be embarrassed to report that our intervention didn't work, you know, and they were so so bummed in themselves and disappointed and feeling hopeless and failing. You know. um, well, thankfully we have the internet. So that was one tool. So I, I, and I was trying to put the pieces together of how it all unfolded, but, you know, I started voraciously reading all of the research. Um, so, you know, the names that I recall at the top of the list was, you know, Dr. K, Dr. Laura Hill, um, Cynthia Bullock, you know, all the neuroscience. Um, and then also a whole field of weight science, um, the health at every size, Linda Bacon, Deb Burgard, you know, so I'd say those two main areas completely dismantled everything I had thought about eating disorders. I guess I'm still interested though. I'm still interested to understand what was it about because you you didn't go in specifically wanting to work with people with eating disorders and I think um or I project that what happens to many therapists is they might get a couple of cases of eating disorders and have a similar experience to you where stuff doesn't really work and then they just think to themselves you know what eating disorders are really difficult and I don't want to go there I, I yeah. you know I'm just gonna stick to non-eating disorders clients and and go because the stuff that's sort of working and yeah because I hear a lot from from you know therapists or people trying to find therapists you know a lot of people are like I, I don't want to work with eating disorders that's that's too difficult <laughs> so yes. I guess my question yeah, yeah. is though why did you not take that why did you not just decide I'm just not going to work with people with eating disorders what made you decide I'm actually going to explore and research and, and try and work out what's going on here oh that's a good question I don't know I don't know how to answer that I think um I just I think it's more one thing led to another I guess when I started researching what I found was so I mean, it was fascinating and amazing, but I also became very angry um, at how wrong we're getting it and how much suffering is going on as a result of that. Um, and I think in particular, you know, the patholo pathologizing people, um, you know, it kind of reminded me of, you know, it's like housewives in the 1950s who were having all these hysterical problems and oh it's because they're they have low self-esteem and they're overly controlling and it's like no <laughs> um they're responding to a threat and I saw the same thing you know once I did the research with the eating disorders like all the behaviors that we pathologize as controlling or you know acting out your feelings or stuffing your emotions it's like these are understandable responses to threat. And I think I was just, you know, it's like once that 
came into my consciousness, I was hooked. I, I definitely um, understand the feeling angry at the field. Um, luckily for me, I wasn't ever really, um, I wasn't in treatment. So, um, and I know that treatment certainly is helpful for some people. I also know that treatment as it is, is, is also largely unhelpful for maybe the majority of people, yeah. um, which is the sad part. Um, but as a treatment provider, I sometimes get the impression that as a therapist, you can't really say bad things about psychotherapy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even preparing for this podcast, it's like, how do I diplomatically talk about these things? Exactly. Because I can um, say bad things yeah. about psychotherapy because yeah. I'm not a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> so right. I can just give my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. people yeah. will listen to Definitely. it. Well, they have no yeah. choice if they're listening to this podcast. Right. Um, right. But so that's a bit of a different situation for you. And I'm, I'm interested. You obviously feel very strongly about these things. I do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's awkward. I mean, it is an awkward feeling and I don't know, you know, how to bring it up with colleagues or if I should bring it up. I think it's complicated by the fact that I was not trained as an expert in eating disorders. So that's an additional awkwardness, especially right, talking to people who have been um, trained in that way. So I'll let you so into I, a secret. Yeah. I wasn't trained as an expert in eating disorders yeah. either, not mm -hmm. formally. Um, so though, let me t explain to me the difference. I think I know the difference, but I'd like you to just explain what, what started to happen differently when you started to use different methods to mm -hmm. understand and talk to and treat people with eating disorders. Yeah, I'd say the most powerful piece was that, um, you know, when I explained more of the threat framework and, you know, help people understand like, hey, this is your, I know Dr. Gaudiani calls it the cave person brain. I call it the primitive brain body. So um, this is just your primitive brain body responding to what it perceives as a threat to survival. Um, this isn't about you trying to control things. This is again, an understandable response because your brain body thinks you're under threat to getting the food that you need. What I see is it doesn't usually click immediately, but within a few sessions, there's a, a very visible, um, and you know, a feeling of relaxation almost, you know, it's like a letting go, like they can breathe. It's like, Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. And then once that starts happening, I can connect with the part of the person who's able to observe this pattern. It's very similar to when I um, do work with people with trauma, where they can say like, oh, yeah, my brain body is responding as if this is a threat to my survival. But, you know, at least part of me knows that it isn't. So what can I do differently to move forward and reduce, reduce this threat mode? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's quite, um, it, it's, it's, I guess, much more in the case of we're, we're observing your brain and your body. And if you reframe this as this is how your body is perceiving a biological threat, and we mm -hmm. can start to understand that actually everything that your brain is doing makes complete sense. It's nothing that there's nothing's broken. I know it's, nothing's broken. It's actually doing exactly what it should be doing. I, I totally agree. And it's, you know, people get so deeply and understandably like, you know, 
confused about like, who am I? Am I the eating disorder? You know, um, is this, you know, who I am? And certainly like, what does this mean about me? It must mean all these terrible things about me. And it just, this downward cycle of shame and self-blame. Mm. Um, yeah. I think, um, because often I, I say, well, I take a biological approach to eating disorders and sometimes people don't really know what that means, but, or that they think that if, if you're just talking biology, then there's, it's just straight going to be biology, but biology affects everything. And I think the best I often describe to people is it's a bit like what happens to a woman when we, when we say that her biological clock is ticking and all she can think about is having children. And that happens to some, and, and everybody understands that and goes like, Oh yeah, that's really strong. Like that's something that you can't fight. It feels really strong and it feels really instinctual. And that's what happens, you know, that's what that, that biology is doing when your brain thinks that you're under threat because you haven't had enough food. Yeah, absolutely. It's really strong <laughs> and it makes, really you, strong. it makes you a little bit crazy, like many women probably imagine themselves to be when they decide that they want kids. <laughs> yeah, these are, I mean, and I think that that's the other thing that struck me as so important is these are survival level threats, right? This isn't like, oh, I want to be thin, or I prefer not to eat that, or I'm being resistant to treatment, you know, these people are, you know, you're terrified, right? It's a survival level threat, and it takes over, right? So whether it's the, you know, migratory response that you talk about, or internalized sense of my hunger is not safe, I'm not safe in my body, like, it's so deep and strong. And just just as you're saying, it it takes over, it takes over your thoughts. It takes over your feelings. It takes over your physical sensations. It takes over your behaviors. I was broody for a week once and I'm not a maternal person. So I was actually uh-huh. surprised I was ever even broody for a week. And <laughs> it, it was insane. It was really <laughs> weird. I was like hyper aware of children and babies. <laughs> I am not a children or baby person, but my brain was just all over that. Um, and so it really reminded me of just what my brain was like about food when uh, it wasn't getting enough of it. It was just fascinating how when something biological needs to happen, it just uses all your emotions and your thoughts and everything to shift you in the direction that your biology wants you to go. Right. Yeah. Genius, actually. Yes, we've survived for reasons. Yes. Mm -hmm. Genius. So as a a, a therapist who's um, gone through a little bit of a journey in terms of being taught one way, this is how you treat eating disorders and then sort of realizing, well, that's not actually working <laughs> maybe. And, and then, and doing some exploration of your own. Um, do you still, which is quite an investment, isn't it? That's an investment of your time to do all of that. Um, do you still treat people without eating disorders or do you just stick to people with eating disorders now? Um, I'd say primarily not eating disorders, maybe, you know, 70, 30 percentages wise. So I'd say I have, you know, some segment of my practice is eating disorders and um, some not. Do you see in other, uh, are there any other areas of your practice where you've seen a similar thing happen where actually the straight out um, psychoanalytical or psychotherapy approach, you've actually thought, you know what? There's something else going on here, or has that just been what's happened just in that section of people just with eating disorders? That's a great question. I think my deeper understanding of the brain, um, both in you know getting 
training and learning about trauma and also train, you know, the research I've done into eating disorders has shifted, I'd say, my work with all of my clients, um, kind of really, yeah, because I also work with a lot of anxiety disorders and it's, you know, very similar, right? It's really a matter of saying, hey, here's my body brain response to what it perceives as too much, um, too scary, too overwhelming. Um, can I, you know, use mindfulness practices and compassionately observe that? And then, then that opens up choices. And even when I'm working with couples, it's, a, you know, it's very similar. It's like, hey, we're locked into this fear pattern um, that we're defending to our death, right? But, you know, once you can step back and observe and say like, wow, we're behaving as if this is, these are threats to our survival. You know, maybe there are other options here to, you know, retrain, uh, you know, our relationship to come down off that fight or flight ledge. Another thing I'm interested in, and I just am interested in all of this because um, I, I love it when a, when a therapist is open enough to learn something different and open enough to, to sort of maybe wonder that maybe the things that they've been taught aren't actually the whole story. Um, I have observed slash projected on therapists <laughs> that often they don't want to hear about the biological stuff because it's... a th- it feels like a threat to their practice of psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm interested as to why maybe you didn't see it or feel it to be a threat, or maybe I'm just making that up and therapists don't feel that. You know, I, I did not feel it as a threat. And I think it's because it wasn't my area of expertise, or at least that's my, that's my projection, right. Of maybe why others feel more of a threat. Um, you know, I do wonder, it's like if someone came to me at this point in my practice and said like, Hey, you're getting it completely wrong when it comes to couples therapy, like that, that would be very hard. Um, I would want, I would hope that I would be open. Um, but I have reflected on this and I think, you know, I think first of all, you know, your podcast and the writing you've done, Tabitha, I love it because it really explains clearly what is happening in an eating disorder. And I don't actually think that most therapists, even if they, you know, start looking at more of the neurobiological explanations, I think it's still confusing. Um, And so I think what part of what they come away thinking is, okay, it's not just about emotional and psychological issues. It's also about making sure people get enough food. So let's make sure they get enough food. And then we'll continue to see these behaviors, thoughts, and emotions that go on in the eating disorder through the lens of psychological and emotional issues. So I think that's, that's one thing that happens. Um, also, I do think it's a threat in this, you know, or it can be perceived as a threat. Um, you know, as if suddenly we're not going to be treating the whole person, we're just going to be treating them like, you know, animal behavior modification. It couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, these are the recovery process from an eating disorder is, you know, I said, is it's terrifying. You, you therapist has to be present for the whole person and everything that they go through. Um, and, of course, I'm interested in hearing their stories and anything that comes to the table psychologically or emotionally is completely relevant and important. And I do think that sometimes um, people get into an either or mindset, like, oh, we only can treat the biology. That means we're not going to be able to treat the whole person. That's fascinating. 
especially because our biology uses our psychology or our emotions definitely to motivate us to behave in specific ways and and understanding that um can be i think is a game changer for many people not just in eating disorder stuff probably probably in many things so um what do you if, if you could be talking right now to a therapist that maybe was in a similar position to where you once were where you maybe see a, a few eating disorder patients. It's not the majority of your practice. You've been taught what you've been taught about eating disorders. And you're just beginning to notice that these particular patients are, are the, the more frustrating ones. You're beginning to feel that bit of, am I doing something wrong? Is something not working here? Like what's going on? And maybe beginning to feel like, I, met, I think many therapists do, you know what, I'm just going to not treat people with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. What would your advice be to anybody listening that's in that situation? I think it's actually not as complicated um, and, you know, confusing as it may seem. I think, you know, the treatment or at least the framework for treatment is quite simple. I, I don't mean it's not endlessly variable based on the individual. I mean, every single person with problems around eating has their own story, their own triggers, their own pattern, but there is a simplicity to it where it's like this person is under, you know, threat. I call it chronic threat mode, right? So their brain perceives that there's a threat to getting the food that they want or need. Um, And there's also a threat, you know, brain also perceives a threat to eating the food they want or need. So that, that's the whole pattern, right? So, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's sounds simple to somebody who's hasn't, you know, worked, worked to get to that point. And, um, to me, it's somewhat simple. So my advice would be like, it's, it, you know, sometimes I, I, when I give presentations about this material, I say, okay, close your eyes and, you know, imagine a whiteboard in your mind and write everything you know about eating disorders on it. Okay, now take a wet eraser and erase everything there (laughs) Um, and kind of rebuild it from the ground up. So I'd say my advice is like, can you, you know, to a therapist say like, can you do that? And if you do start to build it from the ground up, it's really not that complicated. Right. Right. So why do and do you think that being a family therapist do you think that that has helped you in in um being an eating disorder therapist as well or treating eating disorders Hmm, that's a good question let me think about it for a moment um so you mean my experiences in, in terms of understanding the interpersonal dynamics and families? Often there are families yeah. involved and worried and concerned. I and of course, in, in any yeah. mental health crisis, but yeah. I'm just interested as to if being a family therapist set you up for anything in particular to be to help you in this field. I mean, I am comfortable, I mean, comfortable working with the parents or caregivers or, you know, any support people. Um, You know, that's not a stretch for me. So I'm always happy and wanting to invite people into the process. And do you find that you sometimes have to help family members, not just family members, actually probably clients themselves actually take a a different look at eating disorders because they 
if somebody's been in therapy or if a family has been in therapy for an eating disorder for a, a while, then usually they have been told that it's all about control and that it's all, you know, this, that and the other. Yeah. And that's an, another awkward and difficult piece of it. Cause you know, I think with the family members, it's easier for me to just, you know, provide the education about it and say, Hey, no, this is really what's going on. Um, with the clients, when they come in and they tell me, this is what my eating disorder is about, you know, as a therapist, I'm not trained to tell my clients that they're wrong about their own experiences. <laughs> so that, that is difficult. And I've, you know, over the years tried to find graceful, I don't know if I'm always successful, graceful ways to, of, you know, validating their experience and helping them look at a different way of interpreting their experience. Because I think that's where things go off the rails. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, hey, your feelings are wrong or your experiences are wrong, but how did you create a story about them to yourself? Yeah. How um, did you come to that conclusion? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Danielle, if people want to find out more about you, um, where can they find you? Well, I'm not on social media. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) So they have to come to my town. Um, You know, I'm always happy to get um, email um, feedback or questions or, you know, anyone wants to talk more about any of these things. I'm I am open and interested. Huge thank you to Danielle for coming on and talking to me about something that's a little bit controversial, really, if you're a therapist, isn't it? Um, and so it makes me think, and I know that uh, Danielle and I have discussed this um, via email, makes me think there should be support for therapists. There should be support for therapists that are in that sort of situation where you maybe want to learn some science and some biology and and really treat the whole body and that might differ from what you've been taught and that's probably quite difficult because I I can just imagine that's quite difficult there will be be a part of you thinking well I know I think this is right but then another part of you thinking well is this really right and um am I being responsible by going off on a different track I don't know I've never been governed by governing bodies or anything like that so I imagine it's quite hard and I I'm just really happy that there are people like Danielle who are brave and who just say, you know what, this isn't working. Something has to change. And I'm going to look around, I'm going to dig around, I'm going to do some work. And I'm going to find out what other people are saying and what actually people who have recovered are saying. I'm just so thankful. So much gratitude to Danielle and for anybody listening who's a therapist or a dietitian or a professional in the field. And you just started to look around and think a bit differently. Thank you. Um, so this, I actually recorded this podcast a while ago, you know, and this is somewhat of a confession. I just didn't get around to editing it until weeks after I recorded it. Um, and I've often had thoughts about, can I really keep this podcast going? It's been three years and it's a one person show and it's a lot of work. But then every time I think about maybe stopping the podcast, I feel kind of sad. Is the truth. I don't want to stop the podcast. But I have noticed that I'm a little tired at the moment. And I'm not tired because I'm overworking, actually, for once. (laughs) Or maybe not. I've become a lot better at that. I don't tend to overwork. But I think, 
you do something and you, and for a long time and it just sometimes yeah find myself getting a little bit I need a break so I might take a, a, a little bit of a break I might take a little bit of a break from the podcast for a month and um you know, I've started watching, rewatching Downton Abbey, and uh, I've also started rewatching Father Ted. So <laughs> I might just spend the time that I would have spent editing audio, watching watching reruns of um, mindless shows that I've already seen, because I actually think it's so important to just have some completely unproductive time in my day, and I'm so enjoying doing things like that. Um, so I'm going to take a month off little bit of a break and then I think I'll be back with renewed energy because I do love this podcast and I love it because I put a lot of work into it many hours and I love it from the notes that I get from you guys who listen and you the people that have written me emails over the years you're the ones that keep this going you really are because every time I think to myself you know what maybe nobody listens to this thing Maybe nobody listens. I could just I could just shut it and nobody would shut it down. Nobody would notice. Every time I'm thinking along those lines, or maybe maybe I'll just stop. I get an email that inspires me not to, because it's usually an email saying thank you. That podcast really helped me in some way or another, and that, believe me, is the thing that makes me happiest. So, for any everybody that's kept this podcast going for three years, thank you. And I'm just going to take a month off, but I'll be back. Um, so. I hope that you'll be there when I do come back. Thanks for listening. And until next time, cheerio.